Well, good morning, family. We are going to keep our eyes on the prize today. Someone asked, asked uh, Pastor, could you make sense of all this that's going on, the whole political realm and all of that? My answer is no. <laughs> but I tell you what I do know. I tell you what I do know. God is still seated on the throne. He's not biting his fingernails. He's not anxious. He's not nervous. He still knows. He still loves. He is still on plan A for your life. So I know that. And, uh, and, and I know the fact that um, there's an anxiety level that has, well, we've had 2020. That is a year you're never going to forget, is it? And, um, and because of, of that, there's people are, are at a kind of a, you know, because of the COVID, because of the, you know, um, the, the protests, the things on the streets, people, you know, taking sides. I think more than anything, the division that we we see, and that, that breaks, breaks people's hearts. I have, people have told me that they, uh, they have friends, they thought they were friends, and they just... Um, axed them out. I mean, they just just because they disagreed with them. Um, kind of a strange world we're living in right now. And people live at a, an anxious level already. And then if something just is a little bit more, you know, have a little bit of problem. That This is what we've noticed. Carol and I, as we've been ministering to people during this season, that there are people like, they're, they're, they're like really anxious, really freaking out, and you look at them and you go, that, that's not them. They're not normally that way. And what is it happening? Well, you have this level already, and then you add something to it, then all of a sudden it feels worse than, than it really is. And, uh, and we need to, to, to kind of stop and, uh, and, and take a look at things from a proper perspective um, and, uh, and rest in the Lord. And trust God in all of this. And I, um, someone had had uh, asked, says, would you just kind of, we prayed, we've been praying and wanting certain things where we've really been focused on some of the biblical issues that need to be addressed in our nation. And, and, uh, and, and some people have said, well, we prayed and why did God allow this? Or I've heard this and I want to discredit this idea fully. Um, when it comes to any kind of political choice, I'm not just talking about whether Biden win or if, you know, if I'm, I'm not even discounting what they're trying to do with the, you know, recount or what have you. I just not even go in that direction. I just want to say, um, if you go, that person, that president was, that God chose them. God chose them. That they're like God's choice. I want to say this. No leader is God's perfect choice. Okay? Um, we will have one someday. And, uh, and he's, well, he's God's perfect choice. But, but no one is, in, is, is God's perfect choice. You know the scripture says it this way in Romans 12 too. It says... Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The perfect will of God, 
the acceptable will of God. There is, in fact, the idea that there is the perfect will of God, meaning that God, this is God's uh, desire, but he has a will that is within the purposes of his overall plan. And, and an example of that is this. The Bible says that God wishes none would perish and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. That God, that's the heart of God. He wishes everyone would come to the knowledge of the truth. Is everyone coming to the knowledge of the truth? No, no. Because God's overall plan that trumps even his heart's desire that way is that God chooses to God chooses to give you a free will whether you will love him or not. And so in God's overall plan, there are, even though his desire is that every single person would come to repentance and come to know him, he allows for the other. So in some ways, if someone rejects Christ, is he out of God's will? Yes, he is. But at the same time, it's within the permissive will of God because he has this overall plan. So I, I would kind of you, caution you in saying, well, whatever person, president, well, God chose them. Well, yeah, in the permissive will of God, he allows people to make choices. And as a nation, we make choices. And then within that, God does, in fact, he tells us what to do. He tells us to pray for our leaders, whoever they are, that we can live peaceful lives ourselves. And so that's what we do because those leaders, whoever they are, I guarantee you, they have all of hell against them. All of hell is wanting to manipulate and use them. And if we don't pray, we, we push back the works of darkness that would completely control. And that's, so let me tell you, if you don't like who, is, who the next president is, don't, whatever you do, don't not pray for, I mean, don't, you know, st don't stop praying for them. You pray for them. And that God, God, that God can curb things in people's hearts anyhow. Um, I guess that's about what I want to say. My, my greatest concern is not the political decisions our country is making. That's not my greatest concern. It's the spiritual decisions that the church is making. And what I mean by that is I think what has been exposed during this time is um, kind of a spiritual, progressive, liberal theology that is in so many churches. I never, in fact, some, some folks, a uh, couple of leaders that I just really did not suspect that, in which they have really exposed. I guess they're in a l lack of talking about certain subjects, which oftentimes is neglected simply because in order not to offend somebody. And I don't want to offend anybody. But God's word does offend people. And so if you teach God's word, it's inevitable. I get offended by God's word. I read God's word and it offends me. Right? And that's a good thing. Because if it offends me, it means that there's some changes that I need to make in my own life. And I'm grateful for God's word that is truth. And so I guess that's the, the, the point in which I am concerned for the body of Christ, the church. Because whenever we, we, whenever we just kind of add Jesus to our life, um, instead, of, instead of 
instead of Jesus being Lord, we, he, he becomes servant to us, we're in big trouble. And as Christ, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not the world plus Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And we, we, when we come to the place where I just live my life, live my life, you know what? And you know what I also got? I got, I got, I added Jesus to my life. And he helps me out so much. I get so much, you know, comfort knowing that I have Jesus and I can, I live my life and whenever I need him, he's just there, you know, kind of like, like, you know, the fairy godmother or Santa or something. He just, you know, and so I add my, this Jesus to my already, you know, life. And it just, I do life. And as I always have done life and now I have Jesus. No, when you come to Jesus, a Christian is, Jesus is my life. He's everything. He consumes me. He directs me. He changes me. He is everything in my life. And so my life changes. He's not an addition. He's my all. And so when the church does not, does not, approach Christianity that way. It's just like, you just need Jesus. He'll make you happier. And that might be true, kind of. Sometimes Jesus will make you sadder. You understand that? He's not, he, he, he's, he's not just kind of this happy, lucky charm. He's God. And I would rather have God than a, a lucky, you know, necklace or something. Yeah, I'd rather have God. And that means sometimes he's going to do something wonderful in my life because he's able to. And sometimes he's going to correct me. And sometimes he's going to do some major change. Sometimes he's going to do some surgery on me. But, it's, but the one who's doing it, I know, loves me. And uh, I can worship a God like that. And I can sacrifice my life for a God like that. So that's not my sermon, by the way. <clears throat> I want to talk to you from 1 Corinthians. And I'm taking this detour from our Hebrews Bible studies we've been going through. Because I, I thought today would be a good day to bring this up. And... Uh, we're in the 15th chapter is where we're going to be in the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And let me give you a little bit of background. Paul the Apostle teaches what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, 1 Corinthians 15. But then he goes into this thing. There's, there were these Corinthians. Now, it's kind of hard to understand this. There were Corinthians who they believed in Jesus but they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, you go, what? Now, they didn't believe in the resurrection, though they believed Jesus rose from the dead. They had bought into the, the, the Greek philosophy they, all, they grew up with since, since the time they were very little. They, it was, this is the way they were trained. There is no resurrection. People die, they die. It's over. That's what they were trained. They were taught that. 
And of course, that's why it's really kind of silly when you hear people are, are ignorant when people say, oh yeah, in those days they would believe anything. You tell somebody they just rose from the, someone rose from the dead and they'd believe. No, they were actually um, pretty, inter- pretty educated and their philosophies and so forth. In fact, when Paul went to preach at Morris Hills, the, the Greek philosophers, they mocked him when he said Jesus rose from the dead. He was mocked. <laughs> yeah, really. Come on. Kind of the same place, kind of like our universities today. Same kind of thing. You know, yeah, right. There's a resurrection, sure. You know, and, and that's what they grew up in. So here it is now. They've, they, somehow they've come to Christ and still believe there's no resurrection. Which does not make sense. Because they believe Jesus rose from the dead and they don't believe. See, some people don't think things through. You know? You know that, notice that? Some people just, you know, like they're, they're very, very simple-minded and they don't kind of think things through. Now, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead but you don't believe in resurrection, how can you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And that was Paul's argument. And Paul says, then, if you believe there's no resurrec- resurrection from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Jesus didn't rise, you're still in your sins. Without the resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus didn't rise, there's no future. And all those people who've died before, they're done. What are you, what are you concerned about? They're gone. There is no resurrection. If, if Jesus didn't resurrect, if he died and didn't resurrect, then, well, might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. And there's no big deal. And you think, why would somebody even believe that? Well, it was, that philosophy was around even where Jesus was in, in the Hebrew uh, sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Say, well, what did they believe? They're very religious people. How could religious people not believe in the resurrection? Well, they believed there was a God, and they believed that by following his rules and his laws, that somehow life would be better for you, and that God would kind of help you. A lot of people, that is, in fact, the reason why they want to be kind of connected to God and connected to Christ and so forth, is that God will just make life better for them. And let me tell you, he he does. There is a benefit. Andre Crouch had an old song that says, if if, uh, heaven was never made for me, it's still been good following you, Lord. Nah, it doesn't quite fly fully, though. And, and that's the point he starts off in verse 19. Look at what it says. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If in this world we have oh, life only, our hope is only in this life only. We are of all people to be pitied. I don't want to be pitied. I, in fact, uh, that's not the place where Christians should be. Christians should not be the people who are most pitied. Christians should be the people who are most envied, and they always have been. They're the most envied because they seem to have this hope and joy in even the worst situations. Oftentimes, it's even caused persecution against the church throughout history. 
And what you find early on in the church, that there was, a, there was one thing that they identified, that the secular world identified, that's why Christianity grew so fast, is they identified these people who at times seemed like they wouldn't have anything to be happy about, no hope, and they still had this joy. And it just drew people to them. I mean, the stories, if you ever get a chance to read um, uh, the, the Book of Martyrs, um, it's amazing the stories of how these Christians died and the kind of joy and the sacrifice, the things that they went through. But what's even more incredible is how oftentimes Christians would be giving their life, being martyred, killed. And people who are watching just walk right into it and give their life away. They're not even Christian, but they decide by watching how they die, they became Christians. And said, well, you might as well kill me because I'm one of them now. That, that's, th those stories are, are frequent and how people would look up. Sometimes it caused people to be angry at them and hateful toward them because they had this joy when it seemed like no, others couldn't have it. And they, they were envious of the joy that they lived in because there was this hope that they had too. Even in this world, it's, there's our, there are blessings in our life. Isn't that right? That there's this blessing that we live our life with such incredible um, hope even in this life. And the, the point is that Jesus helps us and God does bless us and, and things, we, we can pray and we can ask God for help and God does that sometimes. He sometimes enters in right into our situation and changes it dramatically. Kind of like what happened to USC yesterday. If you saw that game at the end, that was an incredible miracle. Well, maybe not, but it seemed like it. All my teams were losing, so I, started, I needed something to make me feel better, and it was great. And all the UCLA fans are not too happy right now, and the Arizona State fans. Well, anyhow, that's the sidetrack. Um, <clears throat> point being, point being this. Look, um, there is a benefit Certainly a benefit, a hope that we have in Christ now. But even if, even if, you, look, if God answered all of our prayers for the now. I mean, you have this list, right? You, you probably have these things in your mind that, boy, you would like to see happen and, and you would want to have happen. And, and if every prayer, everything you asked for, God just gave it to you. It still wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. Has anyone had that? Does anybody have every prayer that you prayed answered in the affirmative? I know God answers. Sometimes it's no, though. But has everybody, anybody here has had that happen? Every time you've prayed, God has answered in the affirmative? Of course not. Unless you haven't prayed much, you know. But if you have any aspirations and prayers and so forth, yeah. God, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. We have that. But even if God gave us everything, how many of you have had, have gotten something you really wanted, you got it, and it wasn't long afterward that you didn't want it? Right? You got, I mean, you just had to have it and you got it, you know. Yeah, some of you remember that girlfriend, you know, that boyfriend, whatever. 
you, you get things, you know, and then you, you, you finally got that car, and then you had to make the payments. And then the car didn't last as long as the payments. <laughs> now you got a piece of junk that you want to get rid of. That's, that's our lives. It's a fact of life. And, and so in this world, you can only have so much hope that's going to satisfy, and it's never, it's never going to be enough. And that's why he says, in, it's, he says that if in this life only, say only, only. So he's not saying you can't have hopes in this life. Certainly you can. Certainly you should. But he says only. And that's where the difference is. The difference is it's not only. It's not only. There's something beyond that. Because in our life, we would be pitied and we, we should be pitied if, if that's only what we have. Because as a Christian, our hope is beyond just this life. And he's talking to people that were aware of the possible persecution in the early church. Many suffered greatly for their faith. So in, in, in fact, God did bless them and God touched them and God healed them. He healed marriages. He healed, he healed bodies. He, healed, he, he, he delivered people. He set people free. He restored people. He blessed people. But at the same time, there were other things. There always is. But for the Christian, there was also persecution. We're so, I'm so grateful that we haven't had that level in this nation, but we have brothers and sisters around the world that that's what they go through. And if there's no resurrection... Well, they should be pitied. They go through all of this and, and there's nothing afterward? What? But that's why Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, God's given us a dual hope. He's given us the hope in this life. He's given us that. And that hope in this life, you, you stay close to God, you... You trust God in faith. You, you rest in God. But there's something that, that everyone deals with, and that is the issue of death, the end of life here, this life. And we, we all face that. And he, he, he says that. He says, and now, but now... Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, he talks about a hope that we have. And someday, this hope is in the resurrection. Verse 21 says, For since by, by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, there's a whole bunch here, but let me just quickly say this. He gives us hope because Jesus is our first fruits. Notice it says, but Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. That terminology is er used early on in, in the Bible. And, it's a, and there's a reference to a feast called the Feast of First Fruits. There's seven feasts, and the, the, the third feast 
is the feast of, of first fruits. And what's first fruits? Well, you take in your land, if you're, you know, you, you have a your farm, or you take your, your produce, that first, the, the first part of the harvest, you take that and you bring it to God and you offer it to God, your first fruits. And then in hopes that then God will bless all the rest. So, so they brought it to God. And and they would take that and offer it up to the Lord, the first fruits. It's very interesting that Jesus, when he died, he died, you know, many of you know, he died on Passover, one of the feast days, the main feast day. He died on Passover. But the way God set up the feast is that when Passover um, was on the 14th day of um, the first month, Nisan, and then there was um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then on the first Sunday after Passover, so whatever it is, if Passover was on Tuesday, the first Sunday. If Passover was on Friday, it would be the first Sunday. It just so happened that Jesus died on Passover, and three days later, he rose from the dead on the Feast of Firstfruits. Just by accident. Because God was saying, listen, he fulfills the feast, but he fulfills this. He is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. What does that mean? There's more coming. There's more resurrection coming. And the resurrection that is coming is us. We're, we will be raised because he was the first fruits of those, the Bible says, that fall asleep. Now, it uses that term when it says the body because when we die, our bodies, you know, go to the ground. And, it's, it, it's, uh, and it uses that term as fallen asleep. Not that we lose consciousness. We're actually in the presence of Jesus as well. For, but, but he says, for since by, by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, and, uh, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now listen to what happened. We know this. In Adam, because of Adam, thank you, Adam, all die. What happened to Adam when he sinned, he, he, he got a fallen nature. He became mortal. In fact, one of the thing, reasons why God kicked him, kicked him out of the garden, him and Eve, is because there was a tree of life in which they would live forever. So there was, death was, would come, but then death passed on. Because in the loins of Adam was, in fact, us. You know, eventually, down the road. Everybody. Everybody goes through this passage of deterioration and dying. I don't have to convince you of that. You know that's true. If the longer you've been alive, the more you're convinced of it. Things just don't, you know, things deteriorate. That's the way it works. And I know some of you young people, you just roll your eyes at that. Uh, and that's a long time away. Because a week is a long time to you. But the fact is, life is really fast. And we all know that. And th this process we go through. And, with, and, and there's only, there's, there's two ways. In fact, you leave this world. And one is death which has come upon every person on the planet except for two that we know of, right? And uh, in the scripture, who were ascended. And, uh, but they had transformed bodies, somewhat well online. So they kind of are a picture of the, 
of, of the resurrection or the rapture, as people would say. So, and the other one is, in fact, something that could be happening, in fact, I'm convinced is happening in our lifetime. And I'm pretty old, and I still think it could happen in my lifetime, right? It's possible it could happen. The reason, and we, we did this study a couple of weeks ago. If you had, weren't around when we did that, I encourage you to do it. We talked about the oldest end times prophecy in, through, through, through history in the Bible. And uh, it has to do with a time frame that is kind of supported uh, in uh, Hosea chapter 6, I think verse 4. And uh, should be, which means it comes at the end of a 2,000 year period after Christ. And we're there. We're literally there within a few years. And so we can, we, if, if all of that, if those rabbis were true, the early church fathers, all, many of them believed that. Those we talked about, those who were disciples of John, the writer of the book of Revelation, believed it. All of that. There was this, this, there was this consistency of, of that. And we're about to that point. And, um, and so it, it, th- th- this might be, this might be actually the generation in history because um, where a lot of people are all redeemed, resurrected at the same time. We're all transformed at the same time. Because normally you just kind of wait till people, you know, people get older and they die, so the generation goes and generation. This, this one would happen, everybody that is a Christian, a believer, would be transformed because your body has to be transformed. The Bible says that because this flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom. And so we're coming to that, and that is a hope that we have. And so, but he says... As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, he's not being a universalist here. He's, he's not saying everybody dies. Well, that's true. Then everybody's saved. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, notice this word, in Christ. See, in Adam, we're all in Adam. Not everybody is in Christ. You get in Christ through Christ. You come to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in you when you believe in Christ. And when that happens, you are in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if he is a new creation, all things are passed away, all things will become new. And uh, Ephesians two thirteen says, for now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's in Christ. But if you're in Christ, all are made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and after those who are, are Christ at his coming. <clears throat> then comes the end, and when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. <clears throat> For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And that last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Death. I can't wait, wait till that one's done. Don't you hate death? Don't you hate that? The idea of death, just the concept, just the reality. I mean, we've all had loved ones that have died. I hate it. 
Someday there'll be no death. Ever. Ever. We won't worry about it. You know? Your kids can run through the house with a with a pencil in their hand. You're not worried. <laughs> Life, you know, I, I, that, that's going to be amazing. And that's the hope. And that's why, that's why Christians throughout history have been envied. It's not that our lives are perfect. It's because we have a hope, and it's a real hope. It's, it's, not, it's not just a leap of faith. It really isn't. What I didn't say is Paul brought the argument of the resurrection. He says, listen, you all know. It wasn't an, he didn't have to prove to them that Jesus rose from the dead. He had to prove to them that Jesus would raise us from the dead. You know why he didn't have to prove it to them? Because everybody knew. It wasn't a secret. Hundreds of people, hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. He, he came and he ate with people and, 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 and cooked with them. And, you know, he, he walked with them 40 days and 40 nights and ascended. And they all were willing to die. This, because they knew. They're willing. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I'm going to tell this message even if it kills me. Because I saw him. I know him. That was never the problem. It's a reasonable faith. And... And so that's why Christians can live our lives with this kind of, no matter what happens, I still have this hope. And if we live that way, it changes everything. Right? It doesn't matter who the president is. I mean, we have our preferences and we hope things will turn out in certain ways. That's our, 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 our living hope here. But we have a hope that goes way beyond that. And we... we we, we can't be stuck in the, the, the momentary problems and delays in our life. We can't be stuck there. And this is why at the end of this, and I'm not obviously teaching through the entire text, but at the end, he says this in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore what? Because you have this hope in this resurrection. Because, you're, because someday... You're going to live your life forever. And you can't even imagine how great. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. I like that. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? It keeps going. You and Jesus... At 12 years old, had wandered away. He, I mean, didn't wander away. He was out there, you know, talking to the elders of the, the, the city. He was, he was debating theology, right? He's there, and his family finally gets there. Mom, mom and brothers and come and, and, uh, to him, and they're kind of distraught. His mom says to him in chapter 2 of Luke, uh, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why, why, do you see, why did you seek me? Because you're 12. 
He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Some of us have been too entangled with the whole political thing. And so it's good to be, to know what you're doing. Good to know how you vote. It's good, okay. But some of, for some of us have just taken over our life. And can I say to you, this is my statement for myself. I must be about my father's business. How about you? How about you? I've got to be about my father's business. Maybe you would turn to someone and say that. You know, I've got to be about my father's business. Maybe, huh? Have anybody you could tell them, tell them that? Maybe somebody across the table or the room. I must be about my father's business. Let's, let's get going. We need to abound, folks. Amen? We got a lot to do. We got a lot of work to do. Well, Father, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, because of you, um, because of your grace, Lord, and because of our eternal hope, Lord, no matter what we face, we are more than conquerors. And because of you, Lord, no matter what we do, Lord, in our life, no matter what, Lord, there's something to grasp onto that just is solid. And we look toward you, Lord. We look for that day that we believe you're coming back soon. And uh, we'll get to enjoy all of that. But Lord, in the meantime, while we're here, let us be about your business, Lord, we pray. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, has not given their life to you, I just want to say to those of you who have not given your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. He made it simple. You just simply invite him into your life. You believe that he died for your sins. That means you're a sinner and you admit that you have failed God and his moral standards, that, you, that he was buried and he, he conquered death. And so you put your faith in him. You ask Jesus to be your savior. You ask him to cleanse your soul. And he'll do that because he promised you can count on it. And you can become a Christian today, a follower of Jesus. And you can do that right now. Just pray that prayer. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for me, was buried, and conquered death. And I receive you. Help me, Lord. And if you prayed that, I want to invite you to go online to ccanaheim.com, our web. And let us know. We have some information to help you in, in a walk with God, your new walk with the Lord. want to do that. Okay? Okay. We're going to have communion um, in the, in the, in the um, oh, we're going we're gonna to have, we're, we're going to have communion. And then, um, so let's just worship the Lord. Will you do that? As the ushers are handing out the little, um, communion cups. I had a pastor friend who, who posted, um, have you ever been in front of uh, several hundred people and tried to open up one of those communion cups while everybody's waiting? And my, my response was, I feel your pain, brother. I've been there. I've been there. Let's worship. <clears throat> Savior say thy strength indeed is small 
Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as Jesus was to be betrayed, he, he took bread. It was uh, unleavened bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. If you wonder why the resurrection, you and I were not made to be without a body. We were made to have a body. That's, that's what human beings were made. We have, we have a body. Jesus rose in a resurrected body resurrected body not a sinful body we have right now sinful flesh Jesus rose no sinful flesh and he was not sinful we are promised that someday we will rise again as well or be transformed and that transformation when that happens this body changes we get an improvement I'm all for that an improvement. And so, what the improvement means is this. Someday, we'll still get to eat, we'll get to st still, still get to eat banana cream pie. All right? 
That's part of it. We might be able to not have to open doors to get where we want to go. That's part of it too. Resurrected body, no decay, no getting old, perfect as God intended. That's why we see that's the resurrection. Now, some beings aren't made that way. In fact, there's different kind of bodies. The Bible says in the same chapter, celestial and terrestrial. Some beings are created by God differently, not us. And we're created for a resurrected body. And that's why Jesus died and he rose bodily. Not spirit. He didn't, it wasn't just a spirit came up. And on the night that he was being betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. What a sacrifice he made for us. Will you receive that? Then he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant, New Testament of my blood. As often as you eat the bread, you drink the cup, the Lord, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, the new covenant, blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. Thank you, Lord. I dismiss. Um, Sean, would you come up here? I just want to pray for you. Um, Sean Youngblood, uh, he just, well, he won uh, the election for school board. And two, and two others with the same values that Sean has. And I'm thankful for this brother. He's going to stand up for, for family values and for those things that are so important to our children. And uh, I'm just grateful for him and, and uh, for his sacrifice. I'm th grateful, Sean. I know that, yeah, you, you, you're making a sacrifice in doing this in your family. You're a busy man. But thank you. Thank you for sticking up for our kids. Would you pray with me for him and, and the school board? Lord, I pray for Sean. I pray that you will bless him. Lord, as, he, uh, as he's taking this new position, I pray that, God, you would just, Lord, use him. Lord, make a difference, Lord, in our schools and our Lord. In fact, let this school board be a an example that others will follow. And I pray that other uh, believers will stand up and go. You know, maybe I should do that. Sean had no experience, and he'd not have been a politician, but God put it on his heart, Lord. And you, uh, you, you touched him with that. And look it. So God, I pray. You bless him and that others would follow. And Lord, bless our kids, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Let's just sing this together. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead.
Christ Jesus. God bless you all, church family. Have a blessed day. We'll see you Wednesday night. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.